you're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It's all about the journey. That's a very popular saying right now. It's all about the journey. You can find it in posters, on cards, on coffee mugs. You can find it, uh, any of these things, on Pinterest and Etsy and a myriad of places that Google will take you to if you want to buy one. You can hear it talked about on podcasts and read about it in blogs. It's all about the journey. Um, Often you'll hear it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Now, what does it mean? Why is that such a popular thing? Well, it's, it's encouraging people to live in the present, to, to enjoy life as it's happening now, to, to not be so focused on the future that you miss what's happening here and now. It's, it's about, it often involves travel and experiences that, are, um, that bring life and, and um, are fun and enjoyable. Enjoy the, the journey. It's about the journey. And much of that is really good. We, we don't want to be so future-oriented that we're missing what is happening right here, Right? It's, it's, it's important. It, what, what the experiences are gifts from God, and we want to enjoy them, be thankful for them. But the destination is important. Because the destination informs what we do on the journey. Tom and I went to France for our 40th wedding anniversary last month, and I can tell you that we were quite intentional about planning how we would get to Paris because we didn't want to go to Poughkeepsie, and we didn't want to wander around. We wanted to go there. We're, this is the last in a series of sermons that uh, we called How to Wreck Your Life, And the title of this one is Make It All About the Journey. The key word in this is that word all, which has been the key word in every one of the sermons in this series. How can it wreck your life if you make it all about the journey? Well, it'll wreck your life if the destination is not to be close to the Lord. In fact, if the destination is not actually to become like him. That's what Jesus is getting at in the story of the prodigal son. And uh, last week, Tom talked about the the older brother primarily in this story. And this week, I'm going to talk primarily about the brother and the father, the younger son and the the father. So... Uh, Read along with me as I read from Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. 
So he divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, this is such an amazing story. But to some of us in the room, it's quite familiar. And sometimes familiarity can get in the way of what it is you have to say. So I pray that you would break down any barriers in our heads or our hearts or our wills. And that your spirit would speak to us whatever it is that we need to hear tonight, individually and as a community. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, 
wants some adventure. He wants, he wants a, a much more exciting life than he can have back there on the family farm. He, he wants to go places and travel the world and see things and, and wants romance. Maybe he's uh, been following people on the first century equivalent of Instagram and he's been influenced by uh, a couple like this one. Once upon a snuggle, man, maybe that's the kind of thing that got to the younger son. <laughs> Once upon a snuggle, man, catchy. He wanted, he wanted girls that didn't exist back home in the community where he was at. Jesus says... Um, Jesus says he squandered everything in dissolute living. He doesn't actually go into detail about that. But the elder brother, when he's complaining to the father, did you notice he said he wasted it on prostitutes? So maybe he was looking for romance. Maybe he was just looking for lots of sex. Maybe he was just really craving to stay at a nice Airbnb here and there and enjoy really good food and wine and people. Maybe he was hoping to, um, to go to some really gorgeous area in a remote part of different countries and take beautiful hikes and say, oh, wow, this is gorgeous. Oh, wow. We don't know exactly what was pulling him, but we do know that his life was all about the journey, all about it. But the problem is this, the journey is all about himself. It's obvious as the parable begins. He says, Father, give me my share of the property, give me my inheritance. Unheard of. Unheard of that a son or a daughter would ever ask for their share of the inheritance while the father's still living. It's incredibly hurtful. I think it would be hurtful here, but especially in that culture, then and now. Disrespectful. Shameful for the whole family. It begins with him not caring at all about his father. And he abandons his brother, just abandons him, take care of things 
at home all by himself. Jesus tells this so matter-of-factly that it's easy to miss how very hurtful this story begins. It's all about me, me, me for this young son. The parable is a parable about how it wrecks your life to be... um, to be distant from, to cut yourself off from the love and the grace of God and live a life that's all about me, me, me. Both sons in this story are very distant from the love and grace of God, both of them. It's just more obvious in the younger son because he physically separates himself and geographically goes as far away as he can get. I'm pretty sure Tom talked to, said this last week, that the older son stays home, but he's just as distant from the father as the younger brother. He's, uh, he, his life is not all about the journey. His life is all about duty, but he's resentful, and he's angry and judgmental. And he does not understand the heart that his father has for him, filled with grace and compassion and generosity, just as his father's heart is for the younger son. It's, um, it's easy for me to look at the younger son and see how self-centered he is. It's harder for me to see it in my own life. And I think part of that is because the younger son takes off and he's by literally me. He's by himself. But I think in my own life, it's, I do the same thing. I don't usually do it by myself, but I do it with the people I love. I, 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 I want just the people I love around me to, to, to share experiences with and do the things that I want to do. It's in our culture. We breathe it. It's in the air we breathe, I think, now. I was flipping around the Internet looking on for this journey theme, and um, I found so many things. And then Ben sent me this one. Uh, this is from a blogger who shares one of his greatest fears. At my previous job working in a print shop in Sydney, I was conversing with a colleague about some of the crazy experiences I had on my travels through Europe. I'll take a break from this for just a minute to tell you that his colleague is a guy that's in his 30s, mid-30s. He's married, he has a couple of kids, and he has debt in his life. Okay, so this is the colleague that he's talking to. I was conversing with him about some crazy experiences I had on my travels through Europe. Walking through a political protest in Ukraine, exploring the death camps of Auschwitz, being blown away by the cultural differences in some of the less traveled countries, listening intently to a few of my somewhat insane travel stories, my colleague responded with, I wish I'd traveled more when I was younger. I've heard this line multiple times from numerous people. 
And each time I think I don't ever want that to be me. If I end up on my deathbed regretting the things I should have done when I was younger, I will consider my life a complete waste of time. I don't know about you, but I think that's an overstatement. (laughs) A complete waste of time. But what is it that he loves so much about his travel adventures? What is it that we love so much? The stories that we come away with, the experiences that we share, the things that we've seen that make us say, wow, I'm glad I saw that. Wow, I'm, I'm glad I didn't miss that. Wow, it was great that we did that together. The, the experiences are gifts from God. This whole world is a gift from God. The problem is that when it's just the experience after experience after experience that we go after without being clear about the destination, the destination I'm talking about of our whole lives. Because what Jesus is saying here is that the destination matters so much because we were created to be close to God. And if the journey isn't taking us close to God, where is it taking us? The younger son is an extreme version of how a life gets wrecked when you get cut off from God. The older son, maybe we're more familiar with older sons than we like to admit. The younger son's journey wrecked his life. One of my favorite lines in the Bible is that line, when he came to himself. He came to himself. He, he's in the distant country. He's made horrible choices. He squandered everything that he had, and, and he was from a wealthy home, so it was probably not a small amount that he squandered. Then a famine hits, and he ends up working with pigs, which no good Jew would ever do. And he's starving. When he came to himself, there, there came a point when maybe he hit bottom, and he looked at himself, and he looked at his life, and he said, this is not the person I want to be. This is not the life I want to live. And so when he came to himself, he decides he's going to go back to his father, confess his sin to his father, and just say, Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be your son, but if, if, could you just hire me to work for you? And so that's what he sets out to do. And he makes his way home, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran, and he put his arms around him, and he kissed him. Wow. No angry words. 
No, where have you been? No, how could you do this to us? No shame, no guilt, no withholding of anything. Put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. Have you ever received grace like that? Have you ever known anybody who has received grace like that? Doesn't it make you say, wow? The elder brother, here's this party. I mean, the father's put his best robe on him, and he's given him the family ring and shoes and killed the fatted calf, and they're celebrating, and the elder brother hears it, and he's just, when he finds out why, he's just so angry. But just as the father ran to the younger son when he was far off and distant, the father goes out to the elder brother when he is more distant than maybe he even realized. And the father goes to him and pleads with him because the father's heart is that all of his children are close to him. That's his goal. That's the destination. And the words that Jesus says to the younger brother have been ringing, in, or the older brother had been ringing in my ears. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. That's why we have to celebrate. Ringing in my ears because Luke chapter 15 begins, before he tells this story, it begins with some religious people um, who are grumbling, and, and they're grumbling because Jesus is hanging out with sinners. <laughs> and they're angry about it. They're judgmental about it. And so Jesus tells three stories about things that were lost and then found. He tells a story about a sheep that was lost and then found, and then a coin that was lost and then found, and then a son that was lost and then found. And in every one of those instances, every time something was found, there was great rejoicing. Every time. Jesus, I believe, tells this particular story because he, he's hoping that the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, will see that they're very much like the elder son in this story. They're not rejoicing at what God is doing here. They're not rejoicing at this compassionate, generous, loving, wildly loving heart of, of the Father. I find myself, um, when I read this parable, I, I find myself seeing my own life in the life of the younger son. I, I, I see times where I distance myself because I want my life to be about me, me, me. And I, I can see myself in the older brother. Times when I 
I'm living for duty, and I resent it. Or I'm judgmental, or critical, or angry. But I was rereading Henry Nouwen's The Return of the Prodigal Son this week, and I was reminded this week that what's really important to Jesus, and the reason Jesus tells this story, is he wants us to find ourselves in the Father. He, he wants us to be like the father, less like the younger son, less like the older son, but that we would be like the father, compassionate, radically other-centered, running to find those who are lost or distant for any reason and welcome them home. The, the Pharisees and the scribes have lost their joy, if they ever had it, I don't know, in God's mission to the broken. It, it's made me wonder this week if we've done that. Jordan Gustafson, who's one of the pastors at Midtown, has told me several times that he has friends who would call themselves Christians. For sure, they identify as Christians. But they would say that their best ministry was behind them. That it was, I don't know, when they were in high school or college, maybe. And that is so sad. It makes me ask the question of myself and of us. What's our destination? Is our destination to find ourselves in, the, in an intimate relationship with God to the point that we're actually, our destination is to be like him come like him. The truth is we're, gonna, we're devoting, we'll devote our lives to something. We've been talking about a variety of good things, actually, in this whole sermon series. We'll devote ourselves to family, to being successful, to, to being a good person. We'll devote ourselves to enjoying the journey. We'll do it intentionally, or we'll do it by default, but we will do it because it's in our DNA to do it. But the biggest wows, my friends, they're in front of us, not behind us. John Ortberg tells a story about Steve Jobs, who was the co-founder of Apple. You'll remember that he died a few years ago of cancer. And um, his sister Mona told this story at his memorial service. At the very end, as his breathing was becoming labored, lying in that bed, his family gathered around him. He looked at his sister, and he looked at his children, and he looked at his wife, and he spoke one last time. He said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. And then he died. We don't know what the words mean. We don't know if he was thinking what was behind him or what was in front of us. We don't, of him, we, we don't know if, uh, if he saw something that nobody else in the room could see. All, the, all we know is those were his last words. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. What I do know is that Jesus is pleading with anybody who's at a distance from him for any reason. And when anyone confesses their sin and welcomes his welcome home, there is great rejoicing. What I do know is that if, if, you've, if you're distant because spiritually and emotionally you've just been, you've been cut off from the grace and love of God, or you've been running hard and fast as far away as you can in the other direction, what I do know is this, that when you, when you come back to him, that the angels in heaven and, and the Lord himself just says, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Henry Nouwen says, God rejoices not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end, not because of thousands of people have been converted and are now praising him for his goodness. God rejoices because one, one of his children was lost and has been found, and I am called to be part of that rejoicing. What I do know is that our biggest wow lies ahead because there will be a day when our life ends and when we face God. And I pray that we're ready for that moment when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we'll be saying, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, is this message a killjoy on travel and fun and great experiences? No, not at all. Those, those are gifts from God, but don't make the gifts your destination. Let the destination inform how you spend your journey. It'll inform how you spend your time and your money. It'll inform who you hang out with. And over time, intimacy with Jesus, well, I mean, Scripture says, we'll become like the one we behold. Let's pray. Father, we...